I don't take this lightly that I get to do this. <laughs> I don't take this lightly that I get to stand up here before you guys and share what the Lord has had on my heart literally since the day you asked me to do this. <laughs> When I say I'm humbled, I mean it. <laughs> I'm humbled that you guys trust me to stand up here and teach before you. Whew. <clears throat> so with that, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Your presence is so precious. Lord, speak through me. Get me out of the way. Soften our hearts for what you have tonight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, turn to Matthew 27. We're going to start in verse 45. I'm going to bump that. <laughs> I'm going to keep bumping that. Matthew 27:45. Before we read, <clears throat> man, if you guys didn't get to listen to Lex's message this morning, you need to go back and listen to it. had me wrecked all day long and actually ties in so much with what I was planning to share tonight too. The Lord has funny timing like that. <clears throat> he sets a table before us so that we can come meet him to be in his presence. We get a taste of that tonight with worship. We get a taste of that with communion. He longs to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. He wants to be with us. He wants to spend time with us. So have that in mind as we read tonight. All right, Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Whew. Lord, help me get through this. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. I want to talk tonight about that veil, that veil in the temple that's split in two from top to bottom. Why that was so important and why I think often we graze over it. I want us to feel the heaviness of what that veil tearing in the temple meant. Some quick context to understand why that was so important, especially in the book of Matthew, was the book of Matthew was written to the Jews. It was written in a way and in a form, and if you read Matthew from beginning to end, you see a lot of references to previous prophecies in the Old Testament, right? This was to fulfill this prophecy. This was to fulfill this prophecy. But it was also to highlight signs that were for the Jews to help them to see, to help them to realize who Jesus was and what he came to do. So what was the veil? Why was it important? So to, to know that, we have to go back to Exodus. And I'm not going to read, but if you guys want to read at some point in time, Exodus 26 is where we get details about how this veil was put together. After Moses brought the Israelites out of Egypt, while they were wandering around in the desert, the Lord was downloading to Moses or giving Moses what we know now as the law of Moses or the law. And with that, he gave him blueprints for what we call the tabernacle. It would eventually become the temple, but for now it was a tent of meeting, the tabernacle tent. And the tabernacle tent was split up into three sections. You had the outer courts around the outside of the main tent, and then you had the tabernacle tent itself that was split into two rooms. You had the holy place, which was the bigger section of the tent. This is where a lot of the artifacts that the Lord gave Moses instructions to build were set. And in the back of the tabernacle was the Holy of Holies. Holy of Holies. This is where the presence of God rested when he came to rest with his people. This was the most holy place. Now, who could enter the Holy of Holies? This wasn't a place that just anybody could go and enter haphazardly, right? There was one person who was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And even then, the high priest could only go in once a year after doing all of these ceremonies on what we now know as Yom Kippur. This was the Day of Atonement. This was the day that the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of Israel for the whole year. There was this whole list of ceremonial things that they had to do, sacrifices, 
the scapegoat where all of the sins of Israel were cast on this goat that would be the propitiation for the sins of Israel for that year, for one year. The high priests were the mediators over time between Israel and God. They had all these ceremonial robes that they were to put on before entering the Holy of Holies. And according to tradition, too, not only did they have these robes and these special garments that they wore when they went into the Holy of Holies, but they also had bells around their, I believe, their waist or the bottom of their garments. And what the, bill, what the bells did is they signified to the other priests outside of the Holy of Holies or outside of the tent when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and when the high priest would exit the Holy of Holies. Also, according to tradition, the high priest would have a waist a, a rope tied around their waist or their ankle. They, I, I think it's, I think it's their ankle. If something happened in the holy of holies, if something wasn't done properly, high priest had a possibility of just dropping dead in the presence of the Lord. This was not something to be taken lightly, right? To see the face of God was to die. You couldn't see the face of God and live. So when entering the Holy of Holies, all of these ceremonial things had to be done exactly as the Lord had lined out. And if not, (laughs) the other priest would have to drag the high priest out of the Holy of Holies. The thing about what the high priest did in the Holy of Holies every year is it wasn't enough to satisfy for the sins of Israel for all of time, right? They had to go in again and again and again, year after year, generation after generation. The high priest had to go in and atone for the sins of the people. That is until Jesus. If you read in the New Testament, especially in Hebrews, Jesus is described as our high priest. He was the high priest to end it all. Though the Lord had lined out all of these instructions, it wasn't enough. He was a holy God that longed to be with his people. A holy God that needed atonement for sin. Because sin and holiness aren't compatible. You can't have sin in the presence of a holy, perfect, set-apart God. Turn to Hebrews. Bookmark there for just a second. Hebrews 3.
See, throughout Scripture, we see examples of sacrifice, sacrifices offered to God to reconcile us back to himself because he longed to be with his people. Because none of them were ever fully sufficient, he had to send Jesus. Not only was Jesus our high priest, though, he was the spotless lamb, he was the scapegoat that the sins of Israel were cast upon to atone for all of time. No longer did we have to go into the temple year after year, generation after generation, because Jesus accomplished once for all what we had done for generations before. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, talking about the Father, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Not sure any of us actually have any experience with approaching the throne of a king. An earthly king, I should say. But approaching the throne of a king was a risky and even dangerous endeavor. It was not something done lightly or without proper invitation and could possibly cost you your life if you didn't approach that throne properly. Think about Esther when she's going before the king, who was also her husband, petitioning for the life of her people. To go before the king meant death. Without proper invitation, without grace, approaching that throne cost her her life. The high priest, without proper invitation, without proper ceremony, going into the presence of the Lord meant death. Hebrews 
but the Lord longs to be with his people. The Lord never wanted that separation between us and him. Some even endeavor that the idea of the veil in the Holy of Holies wasn't even God's idea. Now, come at me later if that's heresy, but I'm open to feedback. The Lord longed to be with his people. Moses, even in the midst of building this tabernacle for the Lord's presence to rest, longed to see his glory. The glory of the Lord was so overwhelming that Moses longed for it. Exodus 33:12 says Moses said to the Lord See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Moses said, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses is saying, God, if your presence isn't with us, don't make us go from here. If your presence isn't coming with us, don't make us leave this place. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, and I your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Verse 19 says, Moses said, Please show me your glory. Now what's important about this to know is that Moses pleading for the presence of the Lord was not met with a no. The Lord longs to pour out his glory. But in this case, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock 
And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then it will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord had mercy on Moses in that moment, knowing that he longed for his glory and said, I'll come as close as I can in this moment. You can't see my face, but I'll come as close as I can in that moment. The only way to truly be in the presence of the king was to be holy, to be perfect, to be set apart. but we couldn't be holy on our own. We by ourselves were insufficient. The Israelites by themselves were insufficient. The sacrifices that the high priests would sacrifice year after year were insufficient. But because of Jesus, because of the blood that was poured out, because of the body that was broken for us, we were made sufficient. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, Such is the confidence that we have now through Christ toward God. Now that, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. See, the letter of the law reminds us That we can't get there by ourselves. We by ourselves are insufficient. We need Jesus. He is the all-sufficient one. The veil tearing in the temple. Why that symbol was so important. was because it meant generations of separation from God were God were gone in an instant. The instant that Jesus gave up his life so that we didn't have to. That reminder, that separation from the Lord was gone. Decimated, torn in two from top to bottom. And we're not talking about a veil like a bride wears on a wedding day, right? We're not talking about a flimsy curtain that covers a window. We're talking about feet tall, thick curtain, a giant reminder of our insufficiency, torn in an instant. What I think we miss about the veil 
And what it means is that we now have boldness to approach the throne room of God. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear the presence of the Lord. We get to boldly go before the throne. To boldly approach the Father, to sit at his feet in his presence without fear. And I don't mean without reverence, because there's still reverence, right? But because of that covering, because of Jesus, the propitiation for our sin, that barrier that we had with God is gone. If you're anything like me and you struggle with boldness, remember the veil. If you're anything like me and you struggle with fear, remember the veil. If you're anything like me and you struggle with insufficiency, with shame, with guilt, with feeling unholy and unworthy, remember the veil. Let this be a reminder and a symbol for you that nothing, not death, not hell, not sin, not your mistakes, not your doubts, Nothing, nothing separates you from the love of God and his desire for you to be in his presence. To sit at his table. To commune with him. To have intimacy with him. Lord, we thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the sacrifice that you gave. Lord, your gospel is so simple. And I think we forget how simple it is. Lord, remind us that we have relationship with you. Remind us that we don't have to be separated, Lord, that we don't have to hold you at arm's length. In moments where we feel insufficient, Lord, remind us of the veil. 
remind us that Jesus, you are our high priest, the propitiation for our sin, not only our priest, but our sacrifice. The all in all, the beginning and the end, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I got you guys. Thank you guys. Thoughts do we have? Yeah. Thoughts?